Okay, Ruchem Avam, welcome everyone. Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Kailal Igor the Pirka Shir. Bezus Hashem. This week we have our regular Monday Shir, as we will next week as well. However, next week there will be a uh, special Igor the Pirka Shir on Tuesday at 12 for all the various Igor the Pirka. Stay tuned to that. Um, this Shir, uh, as we've mentioned, is on uh, Tarani time, and you can also catch it on the uh, podcast. I uh, want to remind everybody that uh, we began last week a new venue called All Parsha. It's going, there's going to be a designated app uh, from the OU uh, for the Shiurim, but for now they're on Torah anytime. There's going to be a Shir on the Balaturim, on the Ramban, and on the Ben Ashri. Um, also, uh, we, we began now the Parshios of Shemois. There are many uh, interesting Shiurim in the Sefer on Pesach. And that is available on our website, rabbidg.com. And all the Sfarim are, all the Hebrew Sfarim are on sale until January 15th. Okay, Parshas Vo'era. A very interesting subject today. And let me try to bring up the Maramakaimais. Um, here we go. And the Medrash Tanchuma on this week's Parsha as well as it's a, further elaborated in the Tanah de Yahu, all bring out a very similar idea, uh, and that is, what was the objective of the Makos? What was the rationale, what was the method, the procedure with which Riban Sham brought the Makos on Klal Yisrael? And this is a well-known Medrash. Uh, someone at your Seder table is bound to say over this idea, and that is, Riban Sham brought the Makos, Mida, Keneged Mida, that the Yerushalayim did not just bring like a circus to Mitzrayim. It used to be, many years ago, there's something called the circus, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, that was in existence for about 150 years until we started making our own circus on Chalamoid, and then somehow after 150 years it suddenly went out of business. Um, can't explain the connection, but we are tend to think that... Uh, the Makos were some kind of carnival. It's a circus. Riban Shalom basically uh, went to the Bronx Zoo. He unlocked all the doors and he unleashed the zoo on Mitzrayim. However, the Medrash teaches us that there was a much uh, deeper Kavana. There was an objective over here. The Riban Shalom's Kavana in bringing the Makos was to punish the Mitzrayim in, in a method called Mida Kenegad Mida, what is known in Latin as Quid Pro Quo. This is found in the Medrash Tanhuma on uh, on this week's parsha and is elaborated further in Tana Develio. So, for example, Tana Develio says, "Dam, why did God bring blood on the Mitzrim? They saw the Jewish people would go to the mikvah, and the Jewish women would purify themselves in the ritual bath." So ma asu a mitzrayim? What did the mitzrayim do? Achzu alein asamayim shal yirpul uvlo The Egyptians' kavano was to forbid tashmishamita, and therefore they closed the mikvahs. They closed the ritual baths. So because they closed the waters on us, God says we'll close the water on you. And Ibn Shalom turned all their water into blood. It is certainly of note and interesting that the kavano of the mitzrayim was to uh, 
put an impediment in Puruvu. In other words, they did not want the Jewish people to proliferate. By the way, I saw an interesting thing in the Den Ashri that the Chida asks, why wouldn't the Mitzrayim want us to proliferate? After all, we're their slaves. So the more Jews, the more slaves they had. It would only increase their slave labor. So the Den Ashri answers that the Mitzrayim knew that they had us for a certain amount of time. And if they could get us to stay, then we would fall to the 50th level of Tumah and they could keep us forever. But they also knew that if we would proliferate, then we would have to stay shorter because we could accomplish the same thing in a short amount of time. So their kavana in stopping Puravu was to be able to hold on to us forever. Okay, the Tanvo continues. Frogs, Sephardea, why did God bring the frogs on them? They told the Jews, why don't you go capture some frogs for us, some turtles, some lizards, salamanders, all kinds of uh, creepy crawling things for our amusement and entertainment. So because they wanted us to capture them for them, Rivanshem brought them these shratzim or ramasim on the mitzrim. Kinim. Kinim are lice. Because they made us sweep the roads and the, and the streets and the houses, and the fields, and they made a man sweep the woman's area, and a woman sweep the man's area. Therefore, God said, you want us to clean up all the dust, you'll see what will happen to your dust. The matters continues, why arrive? Because they told the Jewish people, go out and bring us beers, and lions, and bring it to our stadiums, and uh, we're going to watch you, the sport of the animals. Why did they do this? They wanted the Jews to go out to the far out, deserts and to the far out areas and they would refrain from Puravu. Again, this was the Kavana of the Mitzrim to try to get us to uh, refrain from proliferating. And then Dever, the Medrash says, why did God make a plague among the animals? When they they made us shepherd horses, donkeys, camels, cattle and sheep so that the Jewish people should go out to the, the Midbar and it would cause us to uh, re- uh, refrain from Pru-Uravu. Shechin. Why did God punish them with boils? It says the Medrashim, They made us heat up their baths and to cool up their pools. And what did they do? They bathed themselves and they went home b'simcha. So God said, you're delighting in hot water, in cold water. So Hashem said, take the soot of the furnace and throw it heavenward and it will turn into Shechin. And what about Barad? They made the Jewish people be the uh, carers of gardens and orchards and all kinds of trees so that we shouldn't go indoors and be Yifra v'yirba. What about the Arba? They made us plant wheat and barley and beans and all kinds of legumes, so we shouldn't go into the house and be part of our oven. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, look, I have no favoritism. I don't, I'm not going to take out those Jews who are not worthy. So during Choshech and uh, all the Rishayim died. The bottom line is, the matter goes on to say, the principle with which God uh, brought the Makos on the Mitzrim was the principle of Mida Keneged 
Midah. And that will be the subject of today's shir, the subject of Midah, Keneged Midah. La, uh, measure for measure, quid pro quo. Now, there are two Gemaras and Shas that discuss this procedure. Each Gemara uses a slightly different terminology, and the question is why the Gemara uses a little bit of a different terminology. We have a Mishnah Saita. The Mishnah Saita says on Ches Amad Beis, the measure that a person measures with, they measure to him. This is referring specifically to the Saita. She adorned herself for sin. So God defiles her. She revealed herself for Avera. So Hashem uncovers her. She uncovered her thigh with sin, and then she sinned with her stomach. Therefore, she is first struck in on her thigh, and then her stomach. Now, the Gemara continues, even though mida batla, bimida loy batal, which means, even though the Dalad Misos Bezdin are batal, meaning, afapisha batla sanhedre arba misos loy batlu, even though there's no Sanhedrin, the concept of the four Misos Bezdin are not Bato. So the Gemara says, what do you mean? They are Bato. We don't have the uh, Bezdin anymore. The Gemara says, Din Arba Misos Bato. Son who's Chayiv Skila, he'll fall off a roof. Or he'll be pounced by a wild animal. Son who's Chayiv Srefa will fall into a fire or be bitten by a snake. One who's Chayiv to be uh, by the sword will be given to the Malchus, or he'll be attacked by bandits. One who's chayv chanika will drown. Or, um, and so the Gemara says, Tanya haya Rebbe Oimer, Minayin shebemida sha'adam moideid, ba moideid in life. How do you know in the measure that a person measures out, they measure out to him? Shenemar, b'sasa'ah, b'shalacha terivena. B'sasa'ah, with a precise measure, b'shalacha, when you send her away to Rivena, you contend with her. Ainli elasa. I only know if a person measures out six kav of sin, so he gets six kav of punishment. How do I know if you measure out three kav of sin, you get three kav of punishment? No. So the pasuk continues: Ki kol sa'in barash. For every measure and measure with noise. Meaning God measures out precisely. If you do a sin, you get a punishment. You do a half a sin, you get a half a punishment. You do a third of a sin, you get a third of a punishment. This is what the Gemara and Saita calls the Mida Sha'adam Moideid Ba Moidedin Lai. But if you look at the Gemara and Sanhedrin on that Sadi Amaral going on to Sadi Amadez, the Gemara refers to this rule as a different name and a different terminology. The Gemara is talking about the Mishnah in the beginning of Parakhelech. It says the following people have no share in the world to come. Someone who does not believe in Tchiyas HaMesim. So the Gemara asks, the Lama, why so much? Why somebody who doesn't believe in Tchiyas HaMesim won't get Olam Abba? Says the Gemara, Tana hu kafar he denied the resurrection, therefore he will not have eternal life. 
Why? All of the traits of God are measure for measure. And the Gemara brings a, a proof. Elisha said, Shimudvar Hashem. Hear the word of God. This time tomorrow, the prices will drop. So there was a famine in the land, and the food was very expensive. And the Prophet of God said, This time tomorrow, food will be very cheap. And the Pasuk says, the officer was standing there. He said, yeah, what, what's God going to do? He's going to make uh, windows in the heavens? So the Navi said, you'll see it, but you won't eat from it. And the officer died. Why? Because he didn't believe in the miracle of God, so he will not be the beneficiary to be able to enjoy the miracle of God. Why? So we have two Gemaras. We have a Gemara in Saita. The midah sha'ada moideid ba moideid in line. The measure that the way that a person a person measures out, they measure out to him. And there's something called shekom midoisav shalakadosh baruch hu midah keneged midah. Why does the Gemara in one place use a lashon of? And then elsewhere, the Gemara uses a lashon of Mida Kineged Mida. So interestingly, Rabbi Kiva Eger, Kedarka Bekaidash, on the Gemara in Sanhedrin that says Mida Kineged Mida, Rabbi Kiva Eger says, Look in Saita, Chesam Abeis. And in the Gemara in Saita, and the Gemara in Saita, Chesam Abeis, is the Gemara about the Mida Shada Moidei Ba, Moidei Lai. And if you go to Saita, Chesam Abeis, where it's the Gemara of Midash Adam Moide, Ba Moide Dinlai, the Gemara refers you to Sanhedrin, Sadi Amarav. So you go to Saita, and Rabbi Kivagar says, The Midash Adam Moide, I in Sanhedrin, Dav Sadi Amarav. Now the question is, what's Rabbi Kivagar getting at? What's he bothered by? Is he bothered by why does the Gemara use a different language or a different terminology? And what would the answer be? And are these, in fact, different principles? It just occurred to me that maybe you'll say these are two different principles. Maybe the principle in Masech Saita is if a person does something improper, then in this world, others will do that same thing back to you. As opposed to the Gemara Sanhedrin on Sadi Yamir Aleph, Tatsayim Beis, it's Hakadosh Baruch Hu's midah is midah k'nege midah that God pays back measure for measure. But it would be hard to say that because the Gemara in Saita, the Mishnah says explicitly, the woman did a sin and therefore Hamokoim goyla Hashem is Hashem is menavel her. And the the raya the Gemara brought is from Bisasa with a precise measure Bishalcha to Ivana when you send her away. You will contend with her. So, what exactly is Rabbi Kivager bothered by? Is it are these two different concepts? I found the Rashi in Masechta Nadarim. Rashi says, "Mida kineged mida, measure for measure, 
So Rashi takes the concept of the Gemara Sanhedrin and he explains it with the concept of the Gemara Saita. On the words Mida connected Mida, Rashi applies the concept of Sanha of of Saita, the Mida Shadamoidate Bamoidin line. The Marsha seems to sort of uncover really what's probably bothering Rabbi Kivega. And that is the Gemara Saita looks for a source. How do you know from the Pasuk, And then the Gemara in Sanhedrin wants to know, how do I know And the Gemara brings the Raya from Elisha who said that there's going to be a lot of food and the food's going to be cheap and the officer didn't believe it and he was trampled. Why does the Gemara have to go to that story? What's wrong with the Pasuk? The Marsha says, Nira, Here it was not enough to bring Hadatani Parakamakane. Meaning, Marsha is bothered by Akasha. Why doesn't the Gemara bring as a proof to the concept of Midosh? Of Mida Kneged Mida, the Pasuk Besasa'a Bishalcha Terivena. So Marsha says like this. Over there you could say, when a person does an action, so his evil reaches the Madrega of an evil deed, so he gets punished Mida Kneged Mida. But in the Gemara in Saita, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, excuse me, where the, the officer did not do any deed, he was just Koifer B'Machshava, he just had improper belief, he just was a heretic in his thoughts, so maybe you wouldn't say God will deal with that person, so the Gemara in Sanhedrin is even further, not only if a person does a, a wrongful deed, will he be punished, but even beyond that, even if a person has improper thought, the Yibbana Shalom will, will punish now this divine operation, that God deals with a person and punishes measure for measure, was literally what impressed Yisrael more than anything else and what inspired him to convert. The Pasuk says, Now I know that God is greater than all other deities, because in the matter that they planned, Alehem occurred to them. Rashi explains, Kitargumai. They tried to kill the Jews with water. And they were punished with water. They were drowned in the Yamsuf. And of all the signs and marks and and ways that God's power was manifest and clear to Yisrael, Yisrael felt the greatest demonstration of Hashem's superiority was the fact that the Midah, that Hashem deals Midah Keneged Midah. Now, Marv Rabbi there's an amazing Medrash over here. The Medrash is found in Bereshus Rabbah, Parak Tes, Parsha Tes, Oisir Aleph. But let us begin first with the following question.
And that is in Parsha Shemais. Vayoymer Moshe al Holaikim. Moshe says to God, I'm going to come to the, 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 the Jewish people and I'm going to say to them, Your forefathers sent me. And they're going to say, What's your name? Meaning Moshe Rabbeinu is worried. What should I do? The Jewish people are going to ask me. You know, what's what's your name, God? What's what's God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, My name is... By the way, it's amazing thing. Shemais, Parsha Shemais, is really the book of names. First you have the names of the Jewish people, the names of the Shvatim. You have the names of Moshe. Moshe was named. God was named. Moshe says, what's your name, God? The whole Parsha Shemais is, is the Parsha of names. Now, what does God mean, my name is Ekya Asher Ekya? What is the meaning of that? What is the significance of that? Rav Shimon Schwab has a beautiful shot in that. Ekya Asher Ekya. Um, it's, we bring it in the Hakdama of the El Aneni from the Me'en Beis HaShoeva. But we're going to explore today the incredible Pshad of Rabbi Yerucham Levavitz. What does Rivan Shal mean? Ekya Asher Ekya. There is a astounding comment on the Medrash. The Medrash says, number 12, Amar Rav Simon B'Shem Rav Shun Bar Abba. Kol Hamidois Batlu. All the Midois with which God created the world are gone. They're done. Rashi explains Tisha the Arba Midois The forty-nine measures with which God created the world, they're gone. There's only one Mida with which God created the world that still exists. Mida Kenegin Mida Loibala. Measure for measure is not gone. In other words, every divine operation has ceased. God no longer utilizes. It's out of uh, out of print. It's uh, no longer in use. But Mida Kenegad Mida is still operational. The one method with which God still runs the world is Mida Kenegad Mida. And Rabbi Yerucham Levavitz is uh, wonders why of all the Mida of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Mishom what is the depth? What is the significance? What is the meaning of this Mida that this is the one operation with which God still controls the world? So actually it's very interesting. I have the Sefer at home called Mida Keneged Mida based, um, which is uh, written by Rav Aaron Yeshua Pasen. And I realized, and it's a huge safe, it's like 500 pages or so of hundreds and hundreds of examples of Mida Keneged Mida. And then I looked more carefully and it was volume three. It was the third volume of Mida Keneged Mida. And actually, um, when I once gave the shear, apparently there are people in Israel who they know, Shamu Hashir. 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 
shehubittoraanytime.com who gamkin shama asashir ve akhakhum mekasherimi ubali shiva khafetsayim upagashtioto the yeshiva and he gave me um, a number of other svarim called Mida Kenegen Mida, including the Haggadot Shal Pesach Mida Kenegen Mida. Okay. So, you see, I, um, I promoted his uh, Sefer, and uh, you see, it comes back to you. But anyway, there's another Sefer called Mida Kenegen Mida from Rabbi Michal Peretz, and he gives two very interesting examples of Mida Kenegen Mida. And I say them with some degree of hesitation because they're conjecture and they're not found in Chazal, but they are pretty interesting and intriguing. And the first one is, why was Moshe Rabbeinu selected to be the Redeemer of the Jewish people? Why was Moshe Rabbeinu chosen to be the Goyal of Klal Yisrael? Why was he Zaycha to that? So, Michal Peretz says as follows. You know, if you think about what Moshe Rabbeinu did, it would seem to be, have been a very great lack of Hakara Satayv. After all, Moshe Rabbeinu was a little baby, and he's thrown into the Nile. And the Nile is not a safe place for babies. I mean, if you're a crocodile, and you see a little baby floating down the Nile, you know, it's your lucky day. I mean... That's that's your meal for the day, and especially a little baby, very tender. That's a good meal for a crocodile. Uh, if you're a, a snake and you're uh, slithering in the Nile and you see a little baby floating, a boa constrictor could eat that for dessert. And what happened? The daughter of Parai comes along and she rescues baby Moshe and she brings him back to the palace. And who paid for Moshe's formula? Parai. And who paid for Moshe's oatmeal? Parai. And who paid for Moshe's tuition? Parai. And who paid for Moshe's room and board? Parai. And, in fact, Ibn Ezra asks, why was Hashkocha that Moshe should grow up in the house of Parai? Because if he would have grown up among the rest of the Jewish people, Ibn Ezra says, the Jewish people had a slave mentality, they had low morale, they never would have had the... Uh, bearing to raise a leader of uh, a nation, to raise a king. So Moshe Rabbeinu was groomed by Paro. He grew up in Paro's palace, so Paro should teach him in the formalities of leadership and uh, sovereignty. So for Moshe Rabbeinu owes everything to Paro. Paro saved his life, Paro raised him, Paro rescued him, and now Moshe Rabbeinu turns, turns on Paro and he brings plagues on his, basically his stepfather, and he destroys the whole country? What kind of an ingrate was that? But what could you do? Moshe Rabbeinu had no choice. Hashem commanded him to. But why did Hashem command Moshe Rabbeinu to do that? You know why? Because there's once upon a time there was a man by the name of Paroi. And he couldn't sleep at night, because he's having nightmares. And God was trying to tell him that his country is going to be destroyed by famine. And nobody could interpret his dreams. So they, he heard from the Saramashkin that there's this guy in jail who could interpret dreams. So Paro brings him out of jail. And Yosef says, all the interpretations that your advisors are telling you, it's all a bunch of nonsense. 
It's all rubbish, Yosef says. And this is what you need to do. You need to store up grain for the years of famine. I'll take care of your finances. I'll do the dirty work. I'll do the hard work. You just sit on your throne, look good. You're going to take pictures. You could um, tweet out whatever you want. They did not kick Paro off the official Egyptian account. And you do your thing. You look good and I'll do all the work. So basically, Yosef saved Paro's life. And what happened? Paro forgets all about everything Yosef does. He forgets about the fact that, that Yosef saved his life and saved his country. So God says, really, Paro, you're, gonna, you're such an ingrate to the man who is responsible for your life and the success of your country? Well, I will do that to you. You're going to raise a boy, you're going to bring him to prominence, and he's going to forget everything about you. He's going to destroy your country. So says the Sefer Midah, Kneged Midah, what Paro did to Yosef, Moshe did to Paro. By the way, I was thinking this morning, maybe, when the Jews are about to leave Egypt, the sea does not want to split. They say, Moshe, how could you do this to your dad? After everything that he did to you, he groomed you, he raised you, he supported you, and now you're going to take out his whole economy and his whole workforce and destroy his country? You can't do that. Moshe shows the sea, really? You can't do that? Check out our Reino Shel Yosef. Look at the coffin of Yosef. What he did to Yosef, that's what we're doing to him. So the sea says, you're right, I have no choice, gotta split. Another interesting thought from the Sefer Midah Kneged Midah. Amram's the Gadol Hadar. Why was he Zoycha to have a Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest man who ever lived. Moshe Rabbeinu, he decrees and God follows suit. Moshe Rabbeinu decides everything. Moshe Rabbeinu basically controls the world. He paskins and God uh, follows his psak. Why was Amram Zoycha to have a Moshe Rabbeinu? So he says, it's Midah Kenegad Midah. Amram Zagadah Adar. Paroi decrees that all the Jewish boys, we throw them into the sea. So Amram, what did Amram do to his wife? He separated from his wife. Why? Because he said, what point is there in having children if Paroi is just going to throw them into the sea? Now I guarantee you that Amram looked through all the Tshuvas Rabbi Kiva Eger and all the Tshuvas Chassam Soifer and all the Tshuvas Noid Behuda and Avnei Miluim and Rabbi Shalom Mekluger and he passed in that he should be perished from his wife. And he gave Shiurim on Shabbos that uh, we can't, there's no point in Puravu because they're just going to kill the babies. And a little girl comes over to him and he says, Dad, you're worse than Paroi. He says, well How? She says, Paro only decreed on the males, and you're, you're, uh, you're destroying the males and the females. And what does he say to her? He says, it doesn't matter that I'm the God of Hadar. It doesn't matter I'm the Paisik Hadar. I'll accept your halacha, I'll accept your psak. Even though Amram was greater than Miriam, but he deferred to Miriam. So, God says, Amram, you are going to, so to speak, take advice from your inferior, therefore you'll be zaycha to have Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu was somebody where God would say, stop, don't daven anymore, because if you daven, I'm going to have to listen. 
Moshe Rabbeinu basically would be able to tell the Rebbeinu what to do. It was a Mida Keneged Mida. Okay, interesting thought. You know the Sefer on Chumash, Nachshoni Ala Torah? You know, Art Scroll has five green volumes, the Nachshoni Ala Torah. So, there's a Hebrew, it's called Hagois for Parshias Hatayra. He says, you know, Chazal say that because Yosef says to the Sar Hamashkim, Ki im zechartani itcha, if you remember me, please remember me. I'm going to interpret your dream, but when things are good, remember me. So Chazal say because Yosef put his trust in the Sar Hamashkim, so he had to stay in jail for another two years, and uh, because he didn't have trust in God. So the Nachshoni asks, what do you mean? What, what, what did Yosef do that was wrong? We know that a person is supposed to do his shtadlos, a person is supposed to uh, use human intervention. What was wrong with what Yosef did? He just asked the Saramashkim to put in a good word for him. So he quotes Rabbi Yosef Tzvi Dushinsky. He says Yosef didn't do anything wrong. He's one of the tzaddikim of Yishalayim. But it's just plain, Mida Kenegen Mida. Yosef, if you want, you can have Bitachon and Hashem. If you want, you could try to do Hishtadlus. But you have to know, if you're going to put your faith in the butler, then you're going to have to wait until the butler has an opportunity to mention your name. It's not a punishment, Yosef. You didn't do anything wrong. But this, you're being dealt with quid pro quo. You put your cards in the hands of the butler, no problem. The butler, the only thing is, has no reason to mention your name until two years from now when uh, Paro is going to have a dream. Marv said to me, one of the uh, most, the clearest demonstrations of Mida Kenegad Mida is found in the Gemara in Tainus and Avchavheyom and Alf. There's a story about Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Lezer decreed 13 fasts on the Tzibor. The rain didn't fall. Excuse me, that's the first story, the second story. Rabbi Lezer began to daven. He was the Shlech Tzibor. He said 24 brachas. Aninu Hashem, Aninu! Nothing happened. He cried out, he pled, he begged, he cajoled. Nothing doing. Says the Gemara, Yarad Rabbi Kiva Acharav. Rabbi Kiva followed him. Let me show you the Gemara. Va'amar, he said, Avinu Malkeinu, Elanu Melech Our father, our king, you're our only king. Avinu Malkeinu, Asay Lamancha, Rachim Aleinu. Bang! The skies turned black and it poured and it poured and it poured. So the rabbi started chattering about Rabbi Lazar. You know, who is this tzaddik? He davens, he davens, he davens, nothing doing in Rabbi Kiva. Just like that, he prays and all of a sudden the heavens open. A heavenly voice went out. Yatsu sabas kava amra. Loi mibnei Rabbi Akiva is not greater than Rabbi Lazar. It's not because Rabbi Kiva is greater than Rabbi Lazar. Ela shazeh ma'avir al-midoisav v'zeh enoi ma'avir al-midoisav. Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Lezer, they're equal. They're exactly the same. Rabbi Kiva is no better than Rabbi Lezer. It's just Rabbi Akiva is Mavra on his Midois and Rabbi Lezer is not Mavra on his Midois. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter 
quoted in the Ar Yisrael of Ravitzla Peterberg. Rav Yisrael Salanter asks, the Gemara is a stira meneube. How could the Gemara in one breath say, no, Rabbi Kiva is not greater than Rabbi Lazar. Oh, so why was Rabbi Kiva answered? Rabbi Kiva was answered because he's Mavra on his Midas. Well, if Rabbi Kiva is Mavra on his Midas, and Rabbi Kiva over, over, always overlooks his insult, and Rabbi Kiva is a Baal Midas Toivas, and Rabbi Lazar is not, then Rabbi Kiva is greater than Rabbi Lazar. I mean, how could the Gemara say in one statement, Oh, it's not that Rebbe Kiva is greater than Rebbe Lazar, it's that Rebbe Kiva is Mavra on his Midas. If Rebbe Kiva is Mavra on his Midas, he's greater than Rebbe Lazar. Well, the Ar Yisrael, Rebbe Sosalanter, says that we all know that in the stories in the Sechta Shabbos, on Daflamid, about Hillel and Shammai, where the Gemara says, L'Oilam Yehei Adam Anvasan Kehillel V'Alihi Kapdan Keshamai. We tend to think of it that, okay, Hillel was a nice guy. Hillel always acceded to everyone's request. Hillel always bent over backwards. And Shammai was, you know, he's a tough, tough man. Shammai uh, was not a softy. He did not display such uh, flexibility to those who, he, who dealt with him. We always tend to think of it as a matter of personality, but says Rabbi Yisrael Salander, Chas v'shalem. This was a halachic machloikis like any other halachic machloikis. Namely, it could be, Shammai was even maybe nicer than Hillel. After all, in Perkei Avais, Shammai is the one who says, Heaven mekabel as kol adam b'simcha. Receive every person with joy. So it's very likely that this was not a matter of um, personality, but this was a matter of halacha. Hillel paskind that even when people come with ridiculous questions and ridiculous uh, requests and stipulations, slide with them, flow with them, be an anvasan ki Hillel. That, that was the psak of Hillel. And Shammai said, this is wrong. Shammai says, this is incorrect. Imagine somebody comes and he says, Rabbi, I'm going to come to your shir provided that I eat pig while you're uh, teaching me. Say, get out of here. That's a bizayan hatayra. How dare you do that? Rabbi, um, you teach me Torah and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, throw paper airplanes at you while you do it. No, you can't, I can't teach you that way. If you don't have a, a certain respect, the Shammai says, get lost. If you don't have Kavadat Torah, then you don't appreciate what you're learning. Beishamai Paskin, as a matter of halachic uh, basis, that you cannot teach Torah to deviants or to people who don't have basic respect for the content that's being taught. And Hillel said, no, so you have to be a little bit flexible. This is a halachic machlaikis to which the Gemara Paskins, we Paskin like Hillel, La'olam ye Adam, Anvasan Kehillel. Now, Rebbe Eliezer was a Shemusi, which means he was a student of Shammai. Rebbe Kiva followed the Halacha and the approach of Hillel. When Rebbe Eliezer followed the Psak of Shammai to uphold Kabbalah Torah and not to be flexible when people want to learn the Torah standing on one foot, Rebbe Eliezer was rewarded for following the Psak of his Rebbe. And when Rebbe Kiva, a Paskin like Hillel, and he was flexible and tolerant. 
Rabbi Kiva was rewarded for passing like his Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Akiva was not greater than Rabbi Lezer. Each one followed their shita and their approach and their Rebbe and their derech. And each one is shakal in the eyes of Hashem. But, there's a famine. And the Jewish people don't deserve rain. And we have two tzaddikim, Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Lezer. And they are both perfectly equal. Maybe even Rabbi Lezer was a greater. And they're davening for rain. The only thing is the Jewish people don't deserve it. And the only way the Rebbe Hashem could bring the rain is if the Rebbe Hashem is Mavra on his Midas. So the question is, to whom will God be Mavra on his Midas? God will be Mavra on his Midas for Rabbi Kiva. Because Rabbi Kiva was Mavra on his Midas. But not because Rabbi Kiva was greater. Rabbi Kiva is not greater than Rabbi Lazar. It's just Rabbi Akiva happened to have the special ingredient that was needed at this time that he was Mavra on his Midas. So the Rebbe Hashem will respond in kind and be Mavra on his Midas. But not that Rabbi Kiva is greater than Rabbi Lazar. This is the Yisoy. That the way, the manner with which Rabbi Hashem deals with a person is quid pro Quo. By the way, I saw something very interesting in the Sefer Nefesh Chaim of Rav Chaim Falaji of Izmir. He wants to suggest that the din of B'midah Sha'adam Moideid Ba Moideidin Lai is only to a Yachid. That it's Moideidin Lai. It's Moideidin to him, Midah Knegemidah. But not to a Tzibor. And uh, this is somewhat problematic because if you, we have many instances in Chazal where Mida Kenegad Mida appear, uh, applies to Eitzibur as well. By the way, most notably the, with how we started this year, that the Mitzrayim were punished with the Makois, Mida Kenegad Mida, even though they were certainly not a Tzibur, they were, um, excuse me, they were a Tzibur. Then Reb Chaim Falaji says, well, maybe by Goyim, there's no such thing as a Tzibor. Right? Goyim, a hundred Goyim are a hundred Yechidim. They can't make a minion. In other words, when ten Goyim gather together to watch football, they can't say Baruch They can't say Amen Yishmiram. There's no such thing as a minion by Goyim, Kesher, Rishon, Enam, Minha Minyan. Okay, Marav Rabbi said, let's progress in this subject. And let's try to study and analyze... Why does a per- why does Hashem deal with a person mida k'neged mida? What's the logic of that? What's the purpose of that? What's the objective of that? Says the Sefer Ha'ikram of Yosef Albo v'Haraya Shenis Zikum Zanoshim Hachalkiyam Amagim L'Sham Mida k'neged mida. Many punishments are meted out to the wicked, measure for measure. From the concept of Mida Knegemida, we could take a proof that there is a overseer who judges with righteousness. So the the Sefer Ikram is saying that the purpose of Mida Knegemida is so that we recognize that there is a God who controls and knows like the Mitzrayim who judged the Jewish people with water, and they were punished with water. And this is the proof, says the Sefer Ikram, Shashem Yisbarach, done 
It's to teach. Um, this says the Sefer Ikram in his final uh, comments. He says, um, by the way, he quotes the Gemara and Saita, Bamida which also indicates that is the same thing as Mida and he says Vizu Raya This is a great proof to God's divine providence tearing up those of little faith. Meaning the reason why God deals Mida is so that we recognize that there is a God in this world who knows what's going on, and it is a great proof to Hashem's existence and control over the world. By the way, amazing Rabbeinu Bechaye, that uh, Rabbeinu Bechaye in Parashas Baha'u'llah is speaking about the concept of Midah Kenegad Midah, that Yosef buried his brothers. And he involved himself in the... Yosef, excuse me, buried his father. And he involved himself in the burial of his father. And he was the greatest of the brothers. And therefore, he was rewarded that who would be busy in his burial? The greatest in the generation, Moshe Rabbeinu. In the Cesar Ben B'chaye, let's see if we can read this inside. He says, Yosef Zacha Ba'atzmais Aviv. Yosef was Zoyche in the bones of his father. Ein Ba'achiv Gadomimeno. There is no one in his brothers greater than him. Who is greater than Yosef? And therefore, only Meshrabinu was involved in the burial of, my, of Yosef. Now, nobody was greater than Moshe, and yet Moshe involved himself in the burial of Yosef. And therefore, who buried Moshe? The Shechina. Again, this is an example of Hashgacha, of Mida Knegen Mida, says Rabbi Mechaye, Vilu Moifes. This is a clear wonder, al-hashkocha pratis, on God's specific providence, b'schar v'oynesh. And v'zeh menesivois ha-tzedek v'hanishva, this is from the pathways of justice and righteousness, that ki aleikei mishpar Hashem, ashrei kol choychei By the way, the Marsha also says, why does God punish measure for measure? He says, um... So that we don't attribute that what occurs to us as mikra. So that a person recognizes that punishment is not uh, coincidental. Now, very interesting. In the Sefer Torah Chayim, one of the Kadmonim, we know that there's a concept, how much money extra should a person spend to beautify a mitzvah? In other words, let's say you could get a little bit of a nicer esro. Up to how much more money should you spend to get a nicer esro? Hidr mitzvah ad shlish. You spend up to a third of a mitzvah to um, beautify the mitzvah. Why is that? He says there are two kinds of measurements. There's midah mechukah, in exact measurements. You know, you pour water in a cup and you fill it up to tippy top. But if you have, you know, salt in a cup, you could actually do a midah gedusha. You could 
heap it up like an ice cream cone and get a lot more than the cup holds. Now, God could also reward us with a midah mechuka, with a, with a measurement, which is exactly that fills up the cup, so to speak. You know, you can ask God, a person needs, let's say, $100,000 a year, God give me parnasa, so the Yibam could give $100,000 a year. But we don't really want Hashem to give exactly what we need. We want a little bit more breathing room. That's midah gedusha. How much more is midah gedusha than midah mechuka? One third more. So since we want God to give us not exactly what we need, but a heaped up amount, which is a third more, therefore we do hidr mitzvah ad shlish to be able to elicit from Hashem not midah mechuka, but midah gedusha. And here's the question. The Medrash says, that of all the Midois of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the one Midah with which Hashem created the world that is still existent and that is still here is <coughs> is the um, Midah Kineged Midah. That's the one Midah of Hashem that's still extant. The question is, is it still extant today? Do we still say today that, you know, if I had a headache, then I wasn't thinking the right things? And if uh, my toe hurts, I did something wrong with my toe. In other words, does Mida Kinege Mida, the matter says it's the only remaining operation of Hashem, does that still apply today in 2020? So there's a story in the Atar Melech. Rapam, page Kufchaf. Rapam writes that in 1976 he visited Bethlehem in New Hampshire, and Rapam says he was ill, and he had a very high fever, and he fa- he said, "I'm gonna faint! I'm gonna faint!" And his wife came. He said, "What should I do? What should I do?" She was almost in hysterics. She ran out. She chopped a lemon. She came run, running into her palm. She says, bite the lemon, bite the lemon. And he bit the lemon and he sucked out all the juice of the lemon. It got out every ounce of bitterness and sharpness. And literally the lemon revived him and he, you know, he came back to himself. And he sort of wondered, why was he eating that lemon with such relish? And why did Hashem save him through a lemon? And then he remembered 20 years earlier, he visited a friend who was Nebuch in a nursing home, deathly ill. And he brought his friends uh, some oranges. So he offered the friend the oranges, and the friend said, sorry, I, you know, he's not in the mood, he doesn't want, he has. And there was a patient in the next uh, bed, and later on Rapam discovered the, name, the patient was the Admar of the Bronx. And he was paralyzed in half of his body. And Rav Pam was machabed him with a orange. And Nebuch, this Rebbe, was not able to talk. But he took an orange and he bit into the orange with, with such relish and such geschmack. And he sucked out every ounce of juice of that orange. And even though this Rebbe could not say thank you, his eyes were conveying the message, you know, thank you so much. This really meant a lot. And Rav Pam was very moved 
by what this lemon meant, what this orange meant to the guy. And then 20 years later, he realized that not only did Hashem pay him back measure for measure, but Hashem waited for the right time, not when he was at a picnic to eat an orange, but when his life was in danger. And when he was on the brink, Hashem paid him back just at the right time. Now, Rav Palm is uh, telling over the story. He's advertising the story. Presumably, he's, uh, he's saying that even today, in our generation, there is still a concept of uh, Mida Kenegen Mida. And presumably, it's not only to big tzaddikim, because it was only to big tzaddikim, a doubtful Rav Palm would advertise the story. On the other hand, I remember many years ago, I think when I was in 10th grade, I must have been 15 years old, we got a sefer called Bitachon Chai. Where in the sefer Bitachon Chai, he brings that when Hashem punishes a person, this is in number 30, Hashem punishes a person, Mida Kinegen Mida, to be able to know what sin a person did in order to do tshuva? In other words, mida k'negen mida is a chesed. This way, if if my head hurts, I know that I have to do tshuva with my head. Otherwise, I have no idea what, what I need to correct. So Hashem b'chastai, He doesn't want to just punish to hurt. He wants it to be instructive. So He punishes mida k'negen mida so that we know how to repent. However, says the Sefer, bitachon chai, I heard that in general this is only for tzaddikim who have very few sins. So let's say they have three sins. They sinned with their knee, with their toe, and their head. So if their head hurts, they know what the sin is. But us, that we have so many, so many sins, lots of luck trying to figure out what the cause and what the reason for a punishment is. And then I saw in Rav Aaron Yeshua Pesin Sefer Mida Knegen Mida, he says that in Chayda uh, Shvat in 2007, I told Rav Chaim Knievsky about the Sefer Mida Knegen Mida Chelak Aleph that I'm about to print. And Rav Chaim Knievsky looks at all the various uh, statements of Chazal. And Rav Chaim Knievsky wrote the following. Loy Hakol anachnu mevinim. We don't understand everything. Don't think, oh, now that I went to the shir and now that I know this concept, now I understand everything. Oh, you know why Trump became the president? Because his father once gave money to a shul in the Bronx. And you know why Trump lost the presidency? Because X, Y, and Z. And you know why Pence became the president? Because seven years ago he did this thing. Don't think that now that you know the concept of Midah Kenegah Midah, you're going to be able to be the next prophet in Israel and you could explain all world events and everything that happens to you. No, we don't understand everything. Why do you think Reb Chaim Knievsky is writing this in the introduction to the Sefer Midah Kenegah Midah? Reb Chaim continues, Yesh Dvarm Shehem There are things that can only be understood through the secrets of the Torah. Meaning, Rav Chaim is saying, yes, there is a concept of Midah Kenegah Midah. And maybe in this world, there will be times that clearly we see that there is Midah Kenegah Midah in this world. 
However, 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 we will not understand everything. There is no way to start opening up a newspaper and writing a parish on it every day. Ah, from now on I'm going to explain all the news. Not everything could be explained. Not everything could we wrap our mind around. But one thing is for sure. There will be instances in our life when we are given sort of an opening and a Pesach to be able to see Hashem clearly. As the Sefer Ikrim writes, that the concept of Mida Kenegad Mida rips up the notion of the Mekatne Amuna. There will be times in our life where we could say, you know what? If something, if we're facing a challenge or a Choyli Chas we can't say for certain why, but we cer- it's certainly worthwhile to at least try to ask ourselves, what is the Rebunish Shalom telling me? It can't hurt. Worst comes to worst, you'll improve something that needs to be improved. We can never know for certain. Now let's just, um, I want to conclude with two short things. The Ramban writes in Parsha Shemais, What was Moshe Rabbeinu asking the Rebbeinu Shalaylam when he said, What's your name? And what was God's response? Ekya, Asher Ekya. Says the Ramban, an amazing thing. Look at number 32. Umahu Ekya, Asher Ekya. Kishem Says you know what it mean? You know what it means? I will be that I will be. That the way you act with me, I act with you. If you open your hand and you give tzedakah, I will open my hand and give tzedakah. Like it says, Yiftach Hashem Lecha, And if you don't open your hand, then I won't open my hand. You know what Ekiyashar Ekiyah means? Ekiyashar Ekiyah means, God is telling Moshe, you know what my name is? My name is... The way you deal with me, I will deal with you. What do we see from here? That is not a way with which God operates. It's not something Hashem does. It's His essence. It's His very name. It's definitional to God. And I would like to suggest that this was critical in Moshe Rabbeinu being able to tell the Jewish people this Midah of God before he takes them out of Egypt. Because Moshe doesn't come to the Jewish people, he, he's going to say, God's going to whack the, the Mitzrayim with frogs and with blood and with lice. And the Jews are going to say, yeah, right. Why would God do that? So Moshe Rabbeinu needs to be able to explain because God deals with a person. Midah, Keneged, Midah. Measure for measure. And to give the Jewish people an insight into the upcoming barrage and uh, assault on the Egyptians, they need to understand that this is certainly within the job description and something Yibam Shalom would do because this is definitional to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ekiyah is the introduction to the Makos. And in fact, Rabbi Yerucham in the Das Torah explains that why is it of all the Midos of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, this is the one Midah that is still operational. Again, it doesn't mean always. It doesn't mean we'll always understand and see it. But it's still operational. Why Davka this Midah? Because this Midah is definitional to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The same way a shadow does not coincidentally move at the same rate as your hand, but it's by definition 
When something is blocking the light, the shadow will move commensurate with it. God's operation and, and me, um, mechanism of Mida Kneg and Mida is not coincidental, is not, does not just happen to be, but the way God created man in the image of Hashem, part of that creation of man being in the image of Hashem is that God, so to speak, will mirror the way we behave. God will act as our shadow. That is definitional to the creation of man. That since we're created in Hashem's image, the way we behave, the way we accord ourselves, the way we act, is how Hashem responds in kind. Therefore, even if other methods of Hashem's operation no longer are extant, Mida Kenegin Mida is not a way with which God accords Himself. It's definitional to His essence and the way with which He created man. So, when we read these parshiyos of uh, the makos, recognize that this is a clear demonstration of this modus operandi of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it is a modus operandi which continues until today. As we said, we can never be certain exactly how the Rebbe Hashem is displaying it, but one thing we can say for certain is that which the Medrash tells us, Bereshus Rabbah, Parashotes Ois Aleph, Amar Rab Simon, B'Shem Rab Shimon Bar Abba, Kol Hamidos Batlu Mida Kneged Mida Loi Batla. And Rav Hashem should give us Siata Deshmaya to allow us to accord ourselves L'Toiva U'Lechesed U'Lemitzvos, and thereby Rav Hashem will deal with us in kind Mida Kneged Mida. Rav Hashem should be Mashpia on all of us Shefa Bracha Vatslacha. Wishing everyone a great day. Shkaya.